And let's turn together to Genesis chapter 15. Uh, Genesis chapter 15, we're looking at verses uh, 7 through 21 uh, this morning. Those are on pages 10 and 11 uh, of your church Bibles. If you're uh, visiting with us, welcome to you. Uh, we're very pleased to, to have you with us this morning. We hope you'll stay uh, after for uh, tea and coffee and, and some treats that were provided by uh, Anita this morning. Thank you very much for that, Anita. We'll look forward to those. But uh, if you're, you're visiting, welcome. Uh, really pleased to have you. We've been going through uh, a series in uh, the life of Abraham. Uh, one of the, uh, well, the, the man that, that God chose and called uh, out of, uh, as we'll hear this morning, out of uh, one land to, to enter into a foreign place that would become the, the land of promise for God's people. Uh, and so last week we, we heard uh, of the, the faith of Abraham and this is what, what follows immediately after and Abraham's called Abram at this point in time and that's how I, I tend to refer to him uh, as, we, as we go through our passage this morning but this is God's word Genesis 15 beginning in verse 7 and reading through uh, the end of the chapter verse 21 and he said to him I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess but he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nations that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euph river Euphrates, the land of the Canaanites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God stands forevermore. Uh, Ronald Wayne is a name you've probably uh, never heard before, uh, unless you happen to be uh, a tech history super nerd. Ronald Wayne was the, the third co-founder of the, of the company Apple back in the 1970s. He was uh, the, the older and, and slightly more experienced businessman uh, among the, the three original founders. The other two, as you, you might have heard of, are, are Steve Jobs and, and Steve Wozniak. You won't have heard of Ron Wayne, though, because he, he sold his shares in the company uh, just a, a year after... Uh, after they started. And the reason he did it was because uh, he was afraid that if the company failed, then 
uh, his, his personal assets might be seized in, in the bankruptcy. His total stake at the time that he sold it was, was 10%. And when he sold it in 1977, he got, wait for it, $800 for 10% stake in Apple. I don't know what he did with the money. Maybe he, he went on a weekend city break. Maybe he bought a really nice dinner. Maybe he got his wife a new refrigerator. Who knows? But, but if he had held on to that money for a little bit longer, well, about 40 years longer, his stake in Apple would be worth around $80 billion today. I don't think Ronald Wayne, or, or I don't think we should say that Ronald Wayne was foolish given the circumstances at the time, but, but the, his problem was that he was only looking at his circumstances at the time. It's hard to play the long game, isn't it? To, to trust that, that something small is, is going to grow. After all, there's no guarantees in life. Or are there? This is Abram's ongoing struggle, isn't it? Last week, God promised him a, a biological son to be his heir. And that his offspring would eventually be greater in number than the stars in the sky. And despite uh, his, his present circumstances, that he's, he's over 80 years old, that his, his wife and himself are, are beyond the years of childbearing, we're told that, that despite those circumstances, Abram believed God. And God counted that to him as, as righteousness in, in his sight. This is what we call faith. So why is it that immediately after this, this wonderful and, and watershed moment, where we see Abram trusting God and believing in his promises, why do we see Abram once again questioning God? I think it's because like Ronald Wayne, it's easier to look at our, our present circumstances and simply want to survive on, on what we have rather than trusting God to deliver on his promises. What we see and hear this morning is that God makes big promises and, and he delivers on those promises, even though it may take generations for them to come to fruition. But in the meantime, we see that he's a God who graciously cares for and ministers to his people. And we see this in three points this morning. We see that faith is never completely free from uncertainty. We see, secondly, that, that God builds our faith through, through promise, sign, and seal. And then third, we see that faith is a long journey in God's sovereignty. So first, let's see that faith is never completely free from uncertainty. Let's look again at, at verses 7 and 8. God comes to Abram and reminds him of, of who he is. And he makes uh, a promise to, to Abram. He says, uh, verse 7, he, he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of, from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And Abram says it's in verse 8, but... But, O oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And it's a, a surprising response from Abram, isn't it? God says to him, I'm, I'm the God who you've already been following. I'm the God that you've, you've trusted in and believed in. I'm, and, and I'm going to give you all this land as your possession. That, that sounds brilliant, but, but Abram's not so sure, is he? How will I know that you can deliver on this, this great promise? You know, just two verses ago, we heard the, the simple but profound statement of faith from Abram. Is he doubting God already? You notice he's in, in describing this, this point 
uh, I called Abram uncertain rather than doubting. It's a subtle difference, but I think actually it's an important one. He's, he's receiving one incredible promise after another. It's a lot for, for one man to take in, especially given all uh, that, that all the, the promises run, run counter to his current circumstances. I think Abram finds himself where, where many of us often find ourselves in our faith. Not, not completely doubting, but, but uncertain. Not always sure what, what to think. Not always, not always sure of what, what maybe to say. Not always sure what, what to do next. Abram's uh, a lot like the, the man who, who brought his, his son, who, who was possessed by an evil spirit, to Jesus in Mark 9. And, and he asked Jesus if, if he could, would Jesus please heal his son? And Jesus' response to him was, all things are possible for those who believe. And the man cries out to Jesus, I, I believe, help my unbelief. He's saying, I, I trust in you, Jesus. I, I believe in you, but I, I just don't know what to, what to say. I don't know. I don't know what to, to think or, or, or what to do. I, I, I'm trying to trust in your your great promises, but I need help. That's how most of us feel in our faith, isn't it? We feel this way way quite often uh, in our in our lives. We've put our, our faith in Christ. We're we're trusting in Christ, and we're trusting in in His forgiveness of our sins. But it's hard to to really have full confidence. It's hard to have really really full uh, assurance when we see our sin before us all the time. We're, we're tempted to think like, like Abram, aren't we? How can we be really sure that, that the promises of Christ are sufficient? How can we be really sure that, that God can deliver on the, the salvation he's promised us? How can we be really sure that we will with Abram inherit God's kingdom through Christ Jesus? We fumble about in our faith, never entirely sure what to think or say or do. And the beautiful thing that we see here this morning is that, is that God uh, does not leave us in our doubts or our uncertainties, but he is a God who, who ministers to his people and he cares for them in those doubts and uncertainties, which is our second point this morning, that God builds our faith through promise, sign, and seal. If we were going with our, our cultural stereotype of the Christian God this morning, we would we would probably expect him to fire a couple of lightning bolts at Abram about this point, wouldn't we? You know, you don't don't you don't you think that 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 God, you know, most most people in our culture think God is 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 uh, kind of angry and wrathful and, and impatient. Uh, he's he's not the the patient and loving father. He's the the, the angry father who's ready to, to lash out. But that's not what we see in in his response to Abram, is it? We see a, a God who's ready to to minister to his people. In this cry of uncertainty, how he does it is is uh, where things get weird for us. So let's break it down a little bit. So so this is strange, isn't it? God tells Abram. To, to gather all these animals. Uh, and he's very specific about which animals and, and he's very specific about how old they should be. Uh, and he, he brings them to Abram and it appears that Abram just knew instinctively where God was going with this. 
So he gets the animals and he, he slaughters them and he, he cuts them in half. Uh, and he, he lays them out uh, in the field. And he spends the rest of the day keeping the carrion off the carcasses. Because there's, there's out there in the open air. And when it gets dark, Abram falls asleep and there's this deep darkness that falls over him. And he, he sees the Lord uh, walking between the animal carcasses, this uh, almost like a, a lantern, isn't it? A lamp that he's described, uh, moving between the carcasses. And he once again, the Lord God makes promises to Abram, and they're they're rather specific promises, aren't they? Don't listen to verses thirteen through sixteen. He says, "Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation." that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. We're told in verse uh, 18 that this this act was God uh, making a, a covenant with Abram. He makes these promises, and then he he he. he moves between these carcasses. What we've seen here is, in fact, what was the traditional act of, of covenant making in the ancient Near East. A covenant was essentially uh, a treaty between two kings, where instead of uh, coming together like they do in our modern world, and they, they make a treaty, and they, they have a big uh, dinner, and they, they uh, toast each other, and, and uh, have a... a, a you know, a photo opportunity. In those days, a king, two kings would come together and they would, they would make a treaty, they would make a deal. And they would come to this agreement and they would do exactly what, what Abram did. They would, they would take some animals of, of sacrificial quality and they would divide them in half. And they would walk in between these animals stating the promises that they were making. And they would, they would say as they were walking between these animals, if I break any part of this covenant, then may what was done to these animals be done to me. They were making a blood oath. Because that's what a covenant is, it's a blood oath. And the difference we see between uh, God's covenant with Abram and, and the, covenant, the way two kings of the earth would make a covenant was that we, see, we never see Abram walk, do we? It was, it was God alone who made the promises. And whatever he would require of, of Abram, God would provide that as well. See, God sealed his promises in a, in a blood oath, a covenant made to Abram, and he would provide the covenant sign later in, in chapter 17. Whenever the covenant was made, there would be, there would be a sign uh, given for it. Uh, in this case, the sign was circumcision. But this is a, a spectacular and, and, and solemn ceremony, wasn't it? The darkness closed in and, and God himself appeared, what's, what theologians call a theophany, a physical appearance of the Lord God. Now what are we make, meant to make of all of this? Well, well, God kept his promises, didn't he? God's people were indeed captive in Egypt. And then were released, and they, they came into the land of promise. And for us, we've, we've seen God keep his promises to Abram, haven't we? We've seen him keep the requirements for Abram. 
what would God require of Abram and his offspring? He would require them to keep his, his law perfectly. And where Abram and his offspring failed, God provided the sacrifice of justice for them and for us in Christ Jesus, our Savior. You see, even all the way, all the way back in these early promises to this, this single uh, wandering nomad, God had in mind a, a great plan for, for the salvation of his people, as well as the salvation of you and I. The covenant was an incredibly uh, one-sided thing, wasn't it? It wasn't a covenant between equals, but rather it was a, it was a covenant that it was a covenant where, where one side was stronger and the other weaker. But in this case, the stronger didn't take advantage of the weaker, did he? Rather, the stronger God made promises and gave sacrificially of himself to cover the shortcomings of the weaker party. We're told that on the day Christ went to the cross, darkness uh, closed in, just like it closed in around Abram. But rather than, than animals being slain and torn in two, the, the Son of God was slain for the breaking of the covenant law between God and his people. God kept the fullness of the promises made to Abram here, including meeting the, the requirements of Abram's side of the deal. And this is where we find ourselves in, ourselves in Abram's story. Christ was sufficient to cover the sins not only of Abram and his offspring, but the sins of, of the world, that the sins of all those who, find, who, who by faith enter into the covenant promises of God. And like with Abram, God continues to, to minister to his people, not only through his word, but we, he ministers to us through uh, the Holy Spirit and through the, the signs and seals of the sacraments of his church. When we come to the Lord's table next week, uh, we'll be able to, to hold and, and taste and to take into ourselves the, the outer sign of God's covenant promises. And that sign through the work of the Holy Spirit will act as an, an inner seal of, uh, of his grace, of him spiritually ministering to our hearts by faith. And baptism is very much the same and is applied like circumcision to the, to the children of believers as a sign and a seal of their participation in the promises of Christ, even though they, they will have to take hold of those promises themselves by faith in their lives. Our God's a God who, who does not promise and then flee, but he's a God who, who keeps his promises and who ministers to his people in their uncertainty and doubt through the power of his word and through the power of his signs and seals that we can take hold of by faith. Now third and last this morning, I want us to see that faith is really a long journey in God's sovereignty. Did you notice a couple of subtle statements made by God that, that could potentially get lost beneath the, the banner headline of the promise? The banner headline of the promise is you're going to inherit all this land. And statements like, uh, your offspring will be sojourners and afflicted servants for 400 years before they're brought out, or 
or you'll go to your fathers in peace in a good old age. Uh, we, we can sometimes skim over that, can't we? But God lays out in detail here his, his plan for his people. And it's a plan that expands beyond Abram's lifetime. He's told that he's going to be long dead before all the promises are fulfilled. He's told that his offspring, his, his children and his children's children and his children's children's children and so forth are going to suffer. But he's also given a reason for it. Did you notice the reason for the suffering of, of his children? Look back at verse 16. This is absolutely incredible. He says, They shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Why is it going to take so long for Abram's children to receive the promise? Why can't Abram himself receive it in his own lifetime? The answer is because God was not yet ready to judge and punish the Amorites for their wickedness. He's patient with them. And that sounds odd to us, doesn't it? What's, what's the point of, of holding back wrath for so long? Why can't we just have the promises now? And folks, this is where we see that faith is a long journey in God's sovereignty. And there's, there's not much point in, in being upset about it. In fact, we should, we should just embrace it. We should allow him to, to grow us in our, our dependence upon him and our, our trust in his sovereign plan. Because this is where we need to remember how helpful it is when, when coming to God's word to, to bear in mind that, that uh, not only the, the original audience who, who heard God's word here, that would be Abram, but to also bear in mind the, the audience who would have uh, heard or, or read these, heard these words read when they were first recorded in Genesis. Genesis is a book that was written to God's people wandering in the wilderness. It was written to the very offspring of Abram who were, who were in the desert having just been brought out of their slavery in Egypt where they had sojourned and been enslaved for, for 400 years. And here perhaps more than anywhere else is where they would have learn precisely who they were. You see, this is a, a passage and, a, and promise that, that defined them. They were Abram's children. And their, their suffering was according to God's purpose. And their freedom was in accord with God's promise. And now when they, they enter the land of promise, they enter not, not purely as aggressors, but rather as instruments of God's justice and judgment upon the, the wicked people of that land. But they cannot take one step in that direction until God's timing was complete, even if it cost them generations of hardship. I wonder how that makes you feel. Do you at all find that, that oddly comforting? You should, because what God says to the Israelites and to you and I is that our earthly circumstances are in no way the, the full measure of his love for us. That his love for his people transcends our circumstances and often uh, transcends even our lifespans. Think about the, the child uh, who was born a slave in Egypt. He would grow up watching 
his parents toil each day for their captors, knowing only the life of a slave. He would at some point in his lifetime marry a woman who who was also a slave herself. They would get up each morning and, and they would toil as their parents had toiled in slavery. They would have children who were born into the same slavery that they had been born into. And eventually this, this couple, this Jewish couple, this Israelite couple, would die as slaves, their feet having never touched the dry ground of the Red Sea on the road to freedom. And what these promises of God tell us is that that man and that woman and their children and all, all the thousands of others like them who suffered under the hands of the Egyptians were no less loved by God and were no less secure in his salvation and they were no less secure in the promises of God to Abram than those who would enter into the promised land. Their circumstances were not a reflection of God's perfect love for them, but was rather simply where they found themselves in God's story of of salvation and redemption. I suspect I know the objection that's welling up in our minds. Isn't that cruel? Why why wouldn't God just deliver them and, and give them the land? Because there were a bunch of wicked Amorites for whom this life was all there was. And this was their, 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 their only shot at life. And God, who is rich in mercy and, and slow to anger, was not yet ready to cast them into the, the fullness of his, his judgment and wrath. His people had to, to wait and to suffer. But their suffering was not in vain, nor was it without purpose. Because they were God's people. And their lives were, were more than their fleeting years on this earth. That's what God tells Abram, isn't it? That his life and the, his, God's promises are, are more than, than just what's wrapped up in these fleeting years on earth. You see, this is the great hope of the gospel. And this is why God's word is so good. Because it tells us who we are. You and I are uh, probably have more in common with with the, the Amorites than, than with Abram. And yet God is, is, is patient and tender and merciful towards us. And he has placed irrevocably upon those who trust in him with faith these same promises that he has placed upon Abram and his offspring. And he's done it because he sent his son, Christ Jesus, to pay for our sins that we might join the children of Abram in his eternal kingdom and in the meantime we join with with all the saints of old and by that I mean joining them in, in suffering in this life but we can do so with patience knowing that our lives of faith are our lives that are lived in the long journey of God's sovereignty and that's okay. In fact, it's wonderful because, because he's a God who doesn't leave us. He's not distant from us in that journey. But he's merciful and he's tender-hearted towards his people. And he ministers to us 
even in our doubts and troubles, through His Holy Spirit, and through His Word, and through His signs and seals of His grace. Let us pray.